Caroline? A U.S. official says he heard President Trump push for Ukraine investigations. Again. I know nothing about that. First time I've heard it. As the man on the other end of that line prepares to testify publicly, what will he say about the president's orders? I'll speak to a Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Mike Turner, next. And unforced error? The president goes after a witness on Twitter while she was testifying about feeling under attack. It's very intimidating. Democrats seize on the tweet as potentially illegal. We take this kind of witness intimidation and obstruction of the inquiry very seriously. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy joins me to discuss next. Plus, taking the lead, there's a new frontrunner in Iowa. It's very encouraging. At the same time, there's a long way to go. The South Bend, Indiana mayor surpasses his biggest Democratic rivals in the first caucus state. But can he do the same across the country? Hello, I'm Dick Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is just trying to keep up. After a difficult week, President Trump is waking up this morning to some not-so-great news politically. Democrat John Bell Edwards has narrowly won re-election in Louisiana as governor, despite President Trump putting his full support behind the Republican challenger and traveling to the state to campaign twice in the past two weeks, trying to make the Louisiana race a referendum on impeachment. This, as new details are piling up quickly in the impeachment inquiry, Saturday, Newly released transcripts revealed that former National Security Council official Tim Morrison testified that Ambassador Gordon Sondland claimed to be acting at President Trump's direction in his dealings with Ukraine. And those dealings included, according to Morrison, Sondland directly telling the Ukrainians to publicly announce investigations into the Bidens if they wanted that military aid released. This puts even more pressure on Sondland ahead of his expected public testimony on Wednesday. This on top of new testimony Friday from U.S. State Department official David Holmes, who described a phone call he overheard between Sondland and President Trump. According to a copy of his opening statement, Holmes heard Sondland say, quote, President Zelensky loves your ass. I then heard President Trump ask, so he's going to do the investigation? Ambassador Sondland replied that, quote, he's going to do it, adding that Zelensky will do anything you ask him to. Joining me now, a member of the House Intelligence Committee, Republican Congressman Mike Turner of Ohio. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us this morning, I want to start with that testimony from David Holmes, the top political advisor at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. He says he heard President Trump directly ask Sondland about whether Zelensky was going to do the investigation and that Sondland made it clear that the president was asking about an investigation into the Bidens. What was your reaction? Well, <clears throat> the travesty uh, here, Jake, is that this is testimony that's continuing to happen down in the basement of the Capitol and that's not public. You should be playing the tape, not leaked transcripts to you. Uh, as you know, I'm currently under a gag order because uh, the way that Adam Schiff is doing this mm -hmm. in secret, you don't have the actual testimony and I can't comment on it. But let's say this first off, because I think this is important. You know, clearly, we all understand that uh, Zelensky, President Zelensky of Ukraine, would not do anything for Donald Trump because obviously the investigations never happened. But let me give you an example of, of real time of, of the danger of this happening in secret and why this shouldn't be happening. Nothing, by the way, classified is happening down there. On the testimony that you just heard from Ambassador Taylor last week, Ambassador Taylor spoke of a phone call that happened between Ambassador Sondland and Ambassador Taylor. It was a phone call that was of much speculation in the media and much leaks were about it. And that's where they had been texting. And Ambassador Sondland said, call me. Many networks, including your own, reported that this was, you know, mm -hmm. scandalous and that he was trying to hold back the information as to what the conversation was. When, in fact, Sondland had already testified down in the secret chamber that the reason why he said, call me, wasn't nefarious. He just didn't want to continue typing. 
And Ambassador Taylor last week confirmed that once they got on the phone together, right. that Sondland reported to Taylor that there was no quid pro quo. But yet there were days well, of reports that that text was going to be the smoking gun. And the reason why you didn't know that all those Sondland had already testified is because this is happening in secret. And, Jake, this should not be happening in secret. Okay, so you have an issue with there being private depositions, uh, even though, of course, that's how Republicans ran the committee when they were in charge as well. But beyond that, sir, I'm just asking you to address the substance. Actually, the sub actually no, we did classified ones, but you should have a problem with it, Jake. You should have a problem. I like all the information. The of, of course, I'd like all the information to be in the public, and I'm happy that they're releasing the transcripts, and I'm happy that they're having uh, the hearings in, in the open and the public now. Absolutely 100% more transparency, please. That said, Reruns. I'm asking you to address the substance of what David Holmes said he heard, which was President Trump telling Gordon Sondland, so he's going to do the investigation. Uh, that must alarm you. Well, the, uh, I can only uh, comment on the portion which is public, which is, you know, Ambassador Taylor in his opening statement right. uh, last week referenced this phone conversation. So I'll, I'll talk about what Ambassador Taylor said, because under the gag order from uh, Adam Schiff, I'm not able to talk about what David Holmes said. So what Ambassador Taylor said is that the uh, aide had overheard the word investigations. Now, as you know, you've personally watched Donald Trump at a microphone say that he thought that uh, Ukraine should uh, undertake an investigation of Burisma uh, and uh, of the Biden's connection to that. So you actually know as much as, as he does. It's not so scandalous about the fact that he claims to have overheard this conversation, which happened the day after uh, the conversation with President Zelensky. That conversation, which you have the readout of, the actual words of the president, and he's confirmed, is the same thing. So he offers nothing new. He offers the same information, still no quid pro quo, still no smoking gun, still the same information. But yet, according to the Democrats, because they're leaking information to you, it's a bombshell. Well, I mean, Gordon Sondland, according to Tim Morrison, who uh, testified, uh, whose, whose transcript was released on, on Saturday, so you can talk about it. There's no gag order. It's been released. Tim Morrison said that Sondland went over to Yermak, one of the top aides to President Zelensky, came back and said, and this is Tim Morrison saying, Sondland, quote, related to me that the president was giving him instruction. Sondland and Mick Mulvaney, they both report to the president. And according to Sondland, Sondland told Yermak, if you want this money released, publicly announce these investigations. So does that not alarm you? Well, of course, all of that is alarming. And as I've said from the beginning, I, I think this is this is not OK. The president of the United States shouldn't even in the original phone call be on the, the phone with the president of another country and raise his political opponent. So, no, this is, is not OK. But if you look at Sondland's testimony, which is also public, he says that the direction that he received from the president of the United States was no pred quo quo. And then, in fact, that he said he wants nothing. He just wants him to do the right thing. So Sondland actually testified. And this, this is the first time, by the way, that you have direct testimony of someone speaking to the president and relating what the president has said. And, and what he says directly contradicts this, this additional, these statements that are, are largely hearsay of someone saying, I heard from someone else who heard from someone else. When you ask Sondland, and you've got his testimony, I think it's around page 124, he actually says, um, I was told by the president of the United States, I want nothing, no quid pro quo. I just want him to do the right thing. 
So we'll all have to wait for Sondland's testimony, but, which is direct testimony, not testimony of somebody who says they heard from somebody right. else that somebody else said something. And I hope Sondland tells the truth because he had to amend uh, his his, uh, his deposition. Uh, you know, I hope everybody tells the I truth. Agree. And, and I, I, what I really would like is mm -hmm. that the people who are leaking information to you guys tell the truth because story after story happens where you report what happened in transcripts and then when they come out, it, they don't match because That's not they're true. not being, being straight with you. Well, well, most, it's, most it's of the, what happened on that phone call between Sondland and Taylor, and, and you could go to page around 225, okay, so, uh, I, I think I, it is, in the transcript. I, I, I'm really, in, in, uh, in the interest of time, I would just like to focus on sure. what the president did and, and uh, what you think about it, because I guess one question I have is, you have Sondland and you have uh, Mulvaney publicly saying uh, that in order for people, or either publicly saying it or saying it in their depositions behind closed doors that have now been released, in order for them to get the money or to get a White House meeting, they needed to do these political investigations. We have Rudy Giuliani also pushing for these uh, political investigations into the Bidens. Do you think that Sondland... Actually, you don't have that. You don't have that. Because you actually have the testimony of Sondland where he says the opposite, Jake. He says the opposite. No, he says that President Trump... Well, that's another thing that's interesting. He says President Trump says there's no quid pro quo. Tell them there's no quid pro quo, but they need to do such and such. So just saying that something isn't a quid pro quo when you are then demanding that someone says or does something doesn't vanish, doesn't make the, the quid pro quo inherent uh, vanish. Do, do, do you really think that there are no Ukrainians who are Jake, under the impression? No, but, let me just ask you this question. Please answer it. Do you really think there are no Ukrainians who are under the impression that they needed to publicly announce these investigations in order to get the White House meeting or the aid, the $400 million they so desperately needed. Do you think no Ukrainians were under that impression? The only two that I can speak to, because I'm, I'm obviously not psychic as to what Ukrainians think, but the president of Ukraine and the foreign minister, and the foreign minister just recently came out with his statement, have both stated that they were not under that impression, they did not believe that it was tied, and they did not believe that there was, was pressure. So I can only tell you what is the public accounts of what Ukrainian statements have been, and their statements have been that that's not true. Uh, let me ask you another question, sir. President Trump um, was attacking Ambassador Ivanovich uh, as she was starting her testimony on Friday. He tweeted, quote, everywhere Marie Ivanovich went turned bad, uh, apparently blaming her for what has happened in Somalia, what's happened in Ukraine, other places. Uh, Chairman Schiff read her the tweet during the hearing. Uh, I'm sure she would have read it during the break anyway. She said that she found it intimidating does it concern you at all that a witness found what President Trump tweeted to be intimidating? Well, I mean, Jake, I, I think uh, along with you know, most people, I find the president's tweets generally uh, uh, unfortunate. But let's say this that I think is very important about all of it. And that is that Adam Schiff has been on a three-year quest to impeach this president. He replaced the staff at the Intelligence Committee with prosecutors instead of, instead he of opposed, experts. He in, opposed like, impeachment weapons, recently, terrorism and the like. He, he, he changed the staff so it became a, an impeachment staff. For three years, he's been pursuing it. So it's kind of laughable that in the middle of the hearing, he reads a witness, a, a tweet that she's up to that point unaware of, and then says, Shazam, Eureka, I have another reason to impeach the president. He's had reasons for three years. He's going to continue to. He's on the quest for impeachment. He's obsessed with impeaching the president of the United States. And a majority of the Democrats were already on record of wanting to impeach this president before the Ukrainian call e even happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm certain we'll but, continue to see the long list of new reasons why Adam Schiff thinks this president should be impeached. I get you don't like Congressman Schiff, but, but 
you do find it concerning that a witness I think, in real I think time he doesn't found like it, the president. Okay, uh, but uh, you do find it concerning that a witness in real time found the president's tweet to be quote intimidating. That is something that concerns you. It's certainly not impeachable, and it's certainly not criminal, and it's certainly not witness intimidation. It certainly wasn't trying to prevent her. Or would it have prevented her from testifying? She was actually in the process of testifying. So, what but does, what does I find it, if a witness if a, unfortunate? If a witness says she's intimidated, if a witness says she's intimidated, how is it not witness intimidation? Well, well, there's a difference between I feel intimidated. I'm intimidated to testify, which is what Adam Schiff was saying. Adam Schiff was saying, "Well, you're intimidated now, so you won't testify completely or fully." And that's not the case. Clearly, she testified completely and fully. I was there. Hopefully, you watched it. Uh, she was in no means intimidated and prevented from testifying. Well, just like you're not a mind reader, I'm not a mind reader. I have no idea whether it affected her testimony. If she says she found it intimidating, is it not possible that she held back or ch shaded her answers because she didn't want to upset the most powerful person in the universe any further? Is that not possible? Well, I, I think you overstate Donald Trump's powers, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, we had a lot of discussions uh, with the ambassador about feelings. I, I think that, though, the real aspect was when we had straight testimony. And I think that testimony was not inhibited. Congressman Mike Turner uh, of uh, Ohio, it's great in Dayton. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. A U.S. ambassador told President Trump that Ukraine's president, quote, loves your ass. I'll talk to a senator who met with the Ukrainian leader about whether or not that's true. Plus, our new poll showing a clear new frontrunner in Iowa. And it's not even close. We'll take a look at the numbers. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. As witnesses reveal new details about the U.S. pressure campaign on Ukraine, my next guest has a unique perspective. He actually met with Ukraine's president over the summer while the U.S. was holding up its military aid. Joining me now, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, also a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, I want you to take a look at what the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, just tweeted this morning. Quote, after three witnesses... No evidence has been presented of any offense. The first two permanent diplomats had no direct knowledge, just overhearing things. The third one had no knowledge, not even hearsay. This is a travesty, unquote. What's your response to Mr. Giuliani? Well, the, the crimes and the offenses that have been detailed in this testimony are absolutely damning. I mean, it's now absolutely clear what happened. Uh, the president uh, was using taxpayer dollars, security aid to Ukraine and a White House meeting in order to extort the Ukrainian president into uh, trying to interfere in the 2020 election, trying to help the president destroy the Bidens and the Clintons. Uh, and Ambassador Taylor and George Kent testified to the fact that they were carrying out the orders of the White House uh, to get this corrupt deal done. Now, the White House is going to rely on this idea that the people who were getting the direct orders from the president, um, who were talking to the president directly, uh, are largely not testifying before the committee. And of course, there's a reason for that. The White House isn't allowing them to testify before the committee. The White House is violating the law in keeping them from the impeachment inquiry. Why? Because they know that those are the individuals who were actually getting most of the direct orders from the president, and they don't want that to be on the record. So the the White House can't have it both ways. The White House can't say, well, you know, Mick Mulvaney and Rudy Giuliani aren't testifying before the committee. Well, there's a reason for that. The White House is prohibiting them from doing so. Kent and, and Taylor weren't saying that they were carrying out these, as you as you put it, corrupt orders. They said that they heard about them and, and they objected to them. 
Right, but that's you know how civil servants work, right? Is that uh, they get orders from uh, from the White House, often through intermediaries. In this case, it was clear that Gordon Sondland was talking directly to the president and then coordinating an effort amongst the Ukraine team to tell uh, the Ukrainian president that he wasn't going to get his security aid unless he started investigating the president's political opponents. Uh, and I think we are going to learn that Gordon Sondland, as we already know, uh, was pretty regularly talking talking to the president. And mm-hmm. in addition, uh, Rudy Giuliani and Mick Mulvaney were talking to the president and they in turn uh, were telling Volcker and Taylor uh, and others uh, to carry out those orders. Ukraine's foreign minister uh, told Ukrainian news agencies on Thursday, quote, Ambassador Sondland did not tell us and certainly did not tell me about a connection between the assistance and the investigations. I have never seen a direct relationship between investigations and security assistance. Yes, the investigations were mentioned, you know, in the conversation of the presidents, but there was no clear connection between these events, unquote. So that's the Ukrainian foreign minister. How do you respond to that? Well, I respond to that by noting that Gordon Sondland himself took the extraordinary step of going back and amending his testimony to make absolutely clear that, yes, indeed, he did tell the Ukrainians that they were not going to get their security aid unless they opened up investigations that the White House was recommending. And we all know that the only two investigations that the president mentioned to President Zelensky was the investigation into the Bidens and the investigation uh, that would uh, relitigate the 2016 election. Now, the Ukrainians are always going to try to put a good spin on this. The Ukrainians aren't going to come out and accuse the president of extortion. Why? Because they are presently reliant on the goodwill of Donald Trump in order to keep that country safe. Um, They can't take on the president because at any moment he could stop the security aid uh, once more. So nobody should be surprised when the Ukrainians are trying to put as good a spin on this as possible, are trying to stay in the president's good graces, because right now the president still holds enormous leverage over that country independence and sovereignty. Uh, Obviously, uh, a lot of Democrats care about this quid pro quo in Ukraine. And the case, as you've noted, relies on Gordon Sondland. He's testifying on Wednesday uh, in an open hearing. Um, Now, as you noted, Sondland has already amended his closed door testimony once. Uh, He did not mention anything about this July 26 phone call between Trump and Sondland that David Holmes testified about on Friday. David Holmes says he he heard President Trump pushing for the investigations. Is Gordon Sondland a credible witness? And if not, how can Democrats rely on his testimony? Well, Gordon Sondland clearly didn't tell the truth in his initial testimony, and I don't know why he decided to uh, ultimately come clean uh, about the fact that they were engaged in an extortion campaign, uh, but he did so. And I think over the weekend, uh, Mr. Sondland has to decide whether his primary loyalty is to America or whether his primary loyalty is to the president of the United States, because it seems clear that he was, in fact, talking pretty regularly, potentially, with the president directly. Uh, And if that was the case, then he needs to explain that. Ultimately, this is about his legacy. Uh, And uh, if it comes out that he um, misled the committee in his initial testimony or outright lied, there are real consequences for him uh, down the line. Holmes, uh, David Holmes, who testified Friday, he says he was a note taker for the meeting that you and Senator Ron Johnson had with Ukrainian President Zelensky in Ukraine. Holmes testified that Johnson, Senator Johnson, told Zelensky that he was shocked by President Trump's negative view of Ukraine that Zelensky, in his view, would have a difficult time overcoming. What was Zelensky's response uh, to Johnson telling him 
that the president, tr- President Trump, had a negative view of Ukraine? Well, you know, we walk into this meeting and normally you engage in you know, diplomatic formalities at the beginning, but that's not how this meeting went. Zelensky immediately launched into this question about the security aid and desperately wanted our help and advice uh, as to how to turn that aid back on. And so you know, part of the meeting was uh, about trying to help Zelensky secure a meeting with the president to make the case that the aid should flow once more. At the end of the meeting, I did uh, remind him that it was not going to help Ukraine for them to get uh, involved in American elections, that he shouldn't be listening to Rudy Giuliani's corrupt requests. And he agreed. Uh, You know, he said that he understood that Ukraine needed to stay out of American politics. But of course, for him, it was life and death. If the security aid didn't uh, get turned back on, he was going to have soldiers dying as they were uh, during the time we were there uh, on the border. So, you know, it was a a tense meeting because uh, Senator Johnson, you know, was relaying to him what what the president had told him about corrupt in Ukraine being uh, an issue. And of course, uh, at least I didn't know at the time behind the scenes, they were telling Zelensky that what corruption meant was uh, getting investigations started mm-hmm. to help destroy the president's political opponents. Ambassador Yovanovitch, was te- she testified Friday. She was asked about the uh, being prepared by the Obama administration during her Senate confirmation uh, for a question, a potential question about Hunter Biden. Uh, take a listen uh, to Congresswoman Stefanik pushing her on this. Quote, the way the question was phrased in this model Q&A was, what can you tell us about Hunter Biden's, you know, being named to the board of Burisma? So for the millions of Americans watching, President Obama's own State Department was so concerned about potential conflicts of interest from Hunter Biden's role at Burisma that they raised it themselves. Now, I get that in your view, what's going on right now with President Trump is a much, much bigger deal and much more important than the Hunter Biden situation. But just point blank, should Hunter Biden have taken that role on the board of Burisma while his dad was vice president? Well, I think in an interview, Hunter Biden himself um, admitted that, uh, you know, he had possibly made a mistake. But let's be clear, Hunter Biden didn't do anything illegal. And his father, the vice president, didn't do anything illegal or unethical. And all of these attacks on the Bidens uh, and the effort to bring the whistleblower uh, in to testify are just an attempt to try to put more chum in the water and distract from the corrupt scheme that is at the heart of this inquiry. Uh, You know, Marie Yamanovich wasn't the ambassador at the time. So uh, as you know, you often get um, briefed in anticipation of these uh, confirmation hearings for the worst case scenario. So it's not you know, out of uh, the ordinary for issues like that to come up when she's getting ready for testimony. Senator Murphy, thank you so much for your time. We are pr- really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. With less than three months until the Iowa caucuses, there's a new breakout frontrunner in Iowa. But what does that mean for the rest of the field? Plus, President Obama weighing in on the 2020 race is warning to the Democratic candidates. That's next. Stay with us. That's extremely encouraging. Uh, you know, we have, uh, obviously, we, we have felt a lot of momentum on the ground. Even now, we know that we're not as well known as some of, uh, some of my competitors. So uh, it's very encouraging. And uh, at the same time, there is a long way to go. South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg on his surge in the brand new CNN Des Moines Register Iowa poll. He is now the clear front runner in the first caucus state among Democrats, coming in at 25%. Senator Elizabeth Warren is at 16% in the poll, with former Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders tied at 15%. 
Senator Amy Klobuchar following with 6%. Let's discuss. Uh, let me start with you, Congresswoman, because uh, I know that there are a lot of progressives yeah. who are wary of Mayor Pete. They think he's too establishment, uh, but he is surging in Iowa. What do you think? Well, I think you got to give it to Mayor Pete for doing a great job and getting to where he is. But what occurred to me when I read those poll results is this is a still a very fluid race. Sure. Um, the vast majority of people, including those who have a first choice, are saying that they would be able to be moved off of that first choice. And so, um, you know, you don't have to look very far to see each of these candidates having been at the top of the polls. And a month later, they're down because that makes them the one to attack. Howard Dean, December of before the year that uh, the election occurred, I think it was 2003, yeah. um, he, he was at the top of the Iowa poll as well. So I think this is a fluid race. Um, I think voters are still trying to decide and look at all of these candidates and figure out which is the one that is going to be able to address the scale of the crisis that is before people. That's on health care. Um, mm. That's on the economy, jobs. These are the issues that I think people are still trying to figure out. Who's going to fight for me? As a Republican, does Mayor Pete concern you? I know I, I feel like you have expressed a desire to run against Warren or Sanders. That you think that they would be easier to beat because they are more to the left. What about Mayor Pete? What, is, what, is, what kind of challenge does he pose to President Trump? Well, he rhetorically presents uh, to be more of a moderate, but he's come out for a lot of the same things that the rest of the field has. <clears throat> I think the race is fluid. I don't know that he is going to be the uh, front runner forever, although he has a war chest that allows him to be durable. I really think the fluidity, though, isn't with the voters, it's with the candidates. I mean, one of the clear reasons Warren is suffering right now is because of health care. I mean, the Medicare for all uh, position has not been popular. She's been struggling with it. She's popular among Democrats, she, though. Well, but why did she pivot away from it? She, she uh, has pivoted she pivot? away from it. Have you picked up the newspaper this morning? She went to a town hall meeting and is now saying, well, we're going to do it in year three. Yeah, after the first midterm of a president's first term, it's really a good time to be changing the nation's health care plan. I think she is struggling with this. She struggled with a lot of positions, but this one, I think, is causing her suffering in Iowa. And Jen Psaki, um, possibly one of the one of the reasons that uh, Buttigieg is rising is because they see him kind of like he's the Goldilocks candidate. Uh, not too hot, not too cold, just right. Uh, <laughs> if you look at, at the polling, uh, not too liberal, not too conservative, about right. Buttigieg, 63 percent. Biden's at 55 percent. Warren, 48. Sanders, uh, 37. Wow, there are 3% people think that Sanders is too conservative. That's incredible. <laughs> that's, that's real. Okay. I, I got to give it to them. But in, in any case, uh, uh, do you think that that's the secret to his success? He's kind of appealing to everyone and not too extreme one way or the other? Look, I, I think that he's a unique political talent. It is early, uh, and I think his campaign is very cognizant of that. But to Scott's point, he has a huge war chest. And as he, we just heard him say, one of his opportunities here is that people are still getting to know him. As they get to know him, they like him. And I think that's also what you're seeing in the polls. So take South Carolina. 21% of the electorate doesn't know enough about him. That's three times the percentage that doesn't know enough about Warren. He just did a $2 million ad buy in South Carolina. He's going to introduce himself. There's a long way to go. He's got to eat his Wheaties before the debate this week because everybody will be after him. Yeah. But I think it's more than just the Goldilocks. I think people are seeing something they like with how he presents himself, how he tries to reach across uh, and, and uh, appeal to a broad part of the electorate. And, and Congresswoman Love, I want you to listen to something President Obama said on Friday. I know you weren't a particular supporter of the president's, but it might be something you could agree with. We also have to be rooted in reality and the fact that voters are not driven by the same views that are reflected on certain, you know, left, 
meaning Twitter feeds. The average American doesn't think that we have to completely tear down the system and remake it. What do you think? I actually agree with that. Yeah, that's that. what I thought. <laughs> I actually agree with that. And one of the things that I have to agree with Scott on is you can't, you're not going to win independence by going completely to the left. And I'm sorry, but Medicare for all is not something that speaks to me. And it's not something that speaks to a lot of independents. And you need independence in order to win a race. So the fact that he's actually saying, look, I'm being a little bit reasonable here. Um, he's actually pleasant. He, you know, there, there's a there's a sense of uh, civility that's there that people are just desperate for. And so I think that I, I'm not surprised that he's actually um, rising in the polls. I think that people are looking for a different alternative because they don't really, uh, they're, they're not necessarily okay with what's in the field right now. I imagine you might disagree with the former president. Well, you know, what I think about is going back to his first race. Um, President Obama ran as a visionary candidate. He did not run as a pragmatic, practical candidate. He ran as somebody who wanted to end the war. He wanted to end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He wanted to pass the Affordable Care Act. I mean, these were big revolutionary ideas that matched where the American people were feeling. And I think that we are grateful to him for that. Nobody wins on running pragmatic, small, nibble around the edges ideas. We need people that are going to address the scale of the crisis that we have, economics and health care. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about as new witnesses prepare to testify. Democrats are rethinking their messaging. The three little words, Latin words, that you might not be hearing next week. That's coming up. 11th hour of the 11th day of the guy overheard a phone call. I'm sure he's going to be a witness next week. We'll have him in an open hearing and uh, we'll get a chance to question him there. David Holmes doesn't concern you. No, not at all. Republicans downplaying new testimony in the House impeachment inquiry. An embassy official told investigators that he overheard President Trump asking his ambassador, Gordon Zondland, about the investigation. Uh, let's discuss. Um, so Republicans say this call isn't any different. Mike Turner said it this morning. What he said is not any different than what he said in the phone call with Zelensky, which is pushing for investigations into the Bidens, that they know that that's happening. We should point out Turner has said that's not OK. I mean, the ultimate question here, which to Adam Schiff's credit, he keeps bringing it back to in these hearings is, is it acceptable for the president to be that the president of the United States is attempting to bribe a foreign power in exchange for personal gain? I know from working in government for almost 20 years, as other people at this table have, that it is always far worse. The angst and the anxiety is far worse than what people are presenting. So, yes, they're saying it doesn't matter. They shouldn't be worried about it. But looking at last week, you had all these incredibly credible and powerful and compelling foreign service officers, people who have served our country, not in a partisan way, making the case that the president did something for personal gain. I wouldn't feel good if I were them, no matter what they're saying publicly. What do you make of it all? Okay, so if I look at this strategically, I don't know who's advising the president, but I'm going to give a shout out to Paul Begala when he was going through the Clinton administration was going through the same thing. He literally put the president on a northbound train with a vision for the American people so that they could focus on something else. And I think that that is one of the things that is missing here is that you've got the president that is tweeting out uh, while Yovanovitch is testifying and it's not helping him at all. Um, I, I, 
I really do believe that the president really has to focus on what he's doing for the American people, um, the economy, jobs, the fact that things are, you know, going well, I think, um, in, in, in this country, instead of going back to the areas that don't help him. He could is, do universal which, which background the, checks which this is week, the I would suggest. Well, I, you know, gosh, there are things that I think that are even, that, that are, that we've been working on for such a long time that have, that have gone, uh, that have gone array. Um, immigration reform. You know, we're mm. actually going to run out of money November 21st. Oh, yeah. Again. Keeping the government <laughs> open. That's Keeping another the government thing. open. So Congresswoman Love brought up the, brought up the tweet from the president uh, during the trial, uh, trial during the uh, testimony. Uh, take a listen. Here's uh, Congressman Schiff, the chairman of the committee, reading the tweet to Ambassador Yovanovitch in real time. What effect do you think that has on other witnesses' willingness to come forward and expose wrongdoing? Well, uh, it's very intimidating. It's designed to intimidate, is it not? I I mean, I can't speak to what the president is trying to do, but I think the effect is to be intimidating. So, Congresswoman, you're on the House Judiciary Committee, which will ultimately draft or not draft the articles of impeachment. Is it um, it seems to be that Chairman Schiff is saying is saying uh, that might be in the articles of impeachment. It's witness intimidation. Do you agree? I definitely think witness intimidation could be. Um, we are looking at all the evidence. We're going to wait for it to come to us. We'll have a fair process to evaluate that, including the president's counsel testifying if he wants to. Um, but here's the thing. I think this week, this last week, was a somber moment for the country. It was a good moment for the facts, and it was a very bad moment for President Trump. Because over and over again, you have the same patterns. By the way, the same patterns that were articulated in the Mueller report. My questioning of Robert Mueller was around witness tampering and witness intimidation on judiciary. So this is a pattern. But the thing is, we're seeing it unfold in front of people. President bribing a foreign ally to investigate a political opponent, get involved in the in the election and withholding this critical aid for a country that is in a very, very destabilizing region and position. Your expression makes it look like, Scott, that you don't buy it. You don't think that's witness intimidation. No, look, I I think the Democrats would be on a lot firmer ground here if they wouldn't want to continue to try to impeach the president over his tweets. That doesn't make it tactically smart. I mean, it was I think this testimony could have come and gone Friday without much notice, frankly, had he not elevated uh, but putting that it certainly the art- was the highlight or the low light of the day. I mean, yeah. I think but, that's but putting it in the articles of impeachment uh, strikes me as is a is a massive overreach. And they may want to go back to their focus groups. You know, they've already focus grouped this once to try to figure out what to call uh, the impeachment. And uh, they may want to go back and see if impeaching a president over his tweets works. Look, it you're referring mean, to a Washington just to, to yeah. explain for viewers that you're referring to a Washington Post story that the DCCC, yeah. the Democratic campaign, campaign committee, uh, asked participants in a focus group whether quid pro quo extortion or bribery was more compelling, and they, they figured to, to nix the Latin. Yeah, just, just the way the founders <laughs> drew it up. Go have a focus group for your campaign committee and see how we should do it. All right, thanks one and all for being here. Really appreciate it. It has been a string of not-so-beautiful days in the neighborhood, as public impeachment hearings seem only to increase the partisan divide in this nation. Perhaps a little Mr. Rogers is what everyone needs to feel better. Stay with us. Welcome back. This Friday, the new film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, comes to theaters, starring Tom Hanks as the iconic children's television host, Fred Rogers. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? The film is being embraced as a respite 
from the storm of cruelty that marks this era, a time of mean tweets and personal invective of division and bullying. Mr. Rogers died 16 years ago, so it's tough to know what he would make of today, though his widow, Joanne, recently offered this. People say, do you th- what do you think he would say? What do you think he would do about all this? And I think it would be about the children. It would be about the immigrants who are having children taken of the children themselves. Mm-hmm. I, it just breaks my heart. And I, and I know it breaks everybody's heart. The sad truth, of course, is that it does not break everybody's heart. But Joanne Rogers shares her late husband's radical view of humanity, of a God who loves all of us. She did that interview last year promoting the documentary about her late husband, Won't You Be My Neighbor? You might remember when hecklers accosted then-Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi, a strong supporter of President Trump, on her way into and out of the theater to see that documentary. Would Mr. Rogers take children away from their parents, one heckler yelled at her. What would Mr. Rogers make of those policies? For that matter, what would he make of the heckling of Pam Bondi? The new film was inspired by journalist Tom Juneau's 1998 profile of Mr. Rogers and their subsequent friendship. You don't consider yourself famous. Fame is a four-letter word like tape or Zoom or face. But ultimately, matters is what we do with it. Juno writes in The Atlantic uh, about the hecklers accosting Pam Bondi that while, quote, it's obvious Rogers would have been saddened by our country's continued refusal to provide health care to all its citizens and, quote, devastated by the cruelties committed in our name at the border, Mr. Rogers' vision of the world depended on civility, on strangers feeling welcome in the public square. Civility, he writes, couldn't be subject to politics, but rather had to be the very basis of politics. This week, I asked Juneau, what would he say to those like the hecklers who argue that one cannot respond to cruelty with kindness? Well, that, Juneau replied, that misses the radical part of Mr. Rogers' radical kindness. People remember him as kind, but they miss the part of Mr. Rogers being demanding. He demanded a lot of us and treating everyone, even the bullies, Even those who advocate for policies we find abhorrent, treating all of us as children of God who are special and deserve love, well, that was what Mr. Rogers demanded. Now, we're in a dark period in politics right now in this country, and as impeachment heats up, it's assuredly only going to grow darker. We could all do worse than to follow the lead of Mr. Rogers and attempt to remember the humanity of everyone involved, including, now, especially those whose behavior you find repugnant. Radical indeed. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. How are Ukrainians responding to the ongoing impeachment inquiry? Fareed Zakaria has that next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.